the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Thank you for joining us today. We're glad to have you on this edition of The Kingdom and Its Stories. And just to review, the, the purpose of our broadcast is not to highlight and to honor individual people, but it is to use people who are being Jesus' hands and feet in their communities to tell their stories and to help us be inspired about new ways we can be Jesus' hands and feet in our communities. So today, I have a friend, Adam Peacock. I know his dad a lot better than I know Adam. Um, but Adam, it's it's wonderful to have you with us. And Adam is the founder of a ministry called Feather Vine, like Feather and Vine, Feather Vine. And in essence, Adam is like a resource pastor to all of the pastors in Sonoma County to help them mobilize their people to be Jesus' hands and feet in their community. So, Adam, welcome. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be on the show with you. And really for the way that you have trailblazed for communities all over the nation uh, to, to help them understand better uh, congregations, how to be Jesus' hands and feet. I am honored to be here with you today. Adam, thank you so much. Tell us, tell us, what's what's an elevator speech of who is Adam Peacock? Yeah, so uh, again, thank you for this opportunity. I, um, as you mentioned, my dad, I was raised in a Christian home, amazing godly parents who um, really believe that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and mm-hmm. that um, the church is designed uh, not only to, to help people come into closer relationship with Jesus, but to demonstrate the impact of the love of God and the hope of the gospel and the truth of his word on a community. And so um, my dad would travel around. I got to visit all sorts of different types of churches and meet all sorts of different types of people. Um, and, you know, a lot of what I'm doing right now is really an expression of the things that were modeled for me hmm. by my parents growing up. And so um, my elevator speech is, is maybe summed up well in one story. I was pastoring. I pastored for 15 years, uh, a church here in Santa Rosa, California, and um, I was talking with our mayor as we were looking at addressing some gang issues. And um, the mayor said, Adam, you know, it's 
difficult for a municipality to partner with one church, but it's surprisingly easy for us to partner with 10 churches. We just need someone who can bring 10 churches together. Amen. So now I'm I'm kind of that guy who helps bring churches together to uh, shine the light of Christ into our community, to be his hands and feet. And sometimes that's, um, you know, in response to a request from the city, many times it's just us being compelled by the love of Jesus to be present in our neighborhoods and our marketplaces and uh, in these places where um, hope is needed. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, and your story really resonates with me because my dad was a pastor in the in the center of Los Angeles, in a in a lower middle class area, and um, and we had the, I had the opportunity of being inspired by my dad, you know, to to really be concerned about the community and the people in the community. So I really identify with that, and. Um, Anyway, welcome. We're glad to have you. So tell tell us one of or a couple of your favorite stories that illustrate um, how a church or churches together uh, end up being Jesus' hands and feet. And so even though people see the Christians at work, they don't know what they're seeing, but they know there's something different about it. And that's what attracts them. Tell us. Absolutely. So uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to tell a few stories because I have at least a few to tell. We've had a really dramatic last five years here in Sonoma County. I mean, I know that with COVID being a global pandemic, communities all over the nation, you know, have have had uh, life disrupted. For us, those disruptions have been, feels like almost nonstop since October 8th of 2017 when we had historic wildfires hit our community. Right. So overnight in Santa Rosa, over 3,000 homes were destroyed, entire neighborhoods. 3,000. Overnight. In one night. night. And then in our county, over 5,000 were destroyed in one night. And so um, that that was unprecedented loss. At the time, it was the most destructive wildfire in California history. And so you know, our our community um, was going through something we had never experienced since the 1906 earthquake that, that, of course, is famous for how it destroyed San Francisco. And the church came together and said, you know, in this dark time for our community, we need to shine bright. And, and we really have. Over the last five years, we've had subsequent fires and flooding in 2018, fires in 2019, fires in 2020, the pandemic. And so we've gotten good at coming together to respond to community needs early on. Adam, when you talk about coming together, how many churches are you talking about? Yeah, so um, with different disasters, it's had different expressions, but consistently we've probably had about 60 churches who have really functioned very well together that I work closely with. And, and some are Spanish-speaking congregations or mm-hmm. you know, we've got it's a whole variety represented in, in culture and denomination. And, you know, early on, I think one of the things that happened is, you know, we kind of had this mindset, okay, we're going through a tragedy and God's going to use the fires to bring the community back to church. Okay. We've, wow. seen, some of that. We've seen some of that, but I think in a, in a larger framework, maybe the more meaningful element has been 
God used the fires to bring the church back to the community. Mm. And what we saw is that we didn't always know how to be present in effective ways. And so I'm going to tell you a story. I can tell you fire recovery stories. I can tell you foster care stories, homelessness stories, but I'll tell you a school story. We've got maybe 30 congregations reaching out to maybe roughly 30 schools in the community. And, and really, you know, we'd had a history of reaching out in different ways to meet needs, but we've, we've kind of established a philosophy I could talk a little bit more about of being neighbors. And so practically a, a good story example is that um, we've got a, a local church. It's a church that um, I grew up attending who have adopted an elementary school not far from where their facility is. And, and part of that establishing of relationship is not that we're coming in with shock and awe, trying to do the biggest thing one time and then disappear, but what's it look like to show that we're present on a regular basis, that we mm-hmm. care, that we want to be engaged in the life of the community. And so I talked with the pastor that, hey, give me three months. Don't call the principal and tell them about your new plan or your endeavor. Just show up with a box of donuts or It's for the teaching staff with the little card that says, hey, thank you. Um, Thank you for the opportunity to, to, uh, you know, to partner with you on behalf of reaching the youth of our community. So the first time they walk in with the donuts, um, the the lady at the front desk, you know, says, hey, I brought some donuts for the teachers, little card. And she says, hey, um, are, are you with the church? And, and I said, yes. And she said, you know, I'm an atheist and I'm not really interested in help from churches. And he was kind of crestfallen. You can imagine, <laughs> you know, he kind of turned around and walked out and, and he, he called me and, and just told me, hey, that did not go very well. And I said, look, we made a commitment to uh, at least three months of this. And so uh, I'm sorry it went like that, but, the, you know, don't change your plan. Amen. He comes, he comes Amen. back a, a couple of weeks later with, you know, donuts again. And uh, as he's walking up, the lady says, hey, um, you're back. I am so grateful. I am so sorry for, <laughs> um, for just how rude that I was. Thank you for these donuts. Wow. So, you know, he goes again and um, leaves and says, hey, that went a little better. And he goes back the third time. He opens the door. And he hears as he's crossing the threshold into the office, you're back. And then he yells across the office, I'm an atheist, but you are my pastor. Thank you so much for your support. And it was, you know, it was this element where, you know, sometimes if we just have an event mentality, you know, we can never really break down those initial walls. But when, when we show up, with that consistent presence of just saying, look, um, we're doing this not because of who you are. We're doing this because of who Jesus is and who he is in us. And we're not going to let a little bit of hostility at the beginning stop us from continuing to be a people of hope, a people of love, a people who bring healing, a people who offer practical help, a people who do what they do not for the results that we're after, although certainly we want good results. We're doing it because the internal character. Yeah, this is who Jesus has made us to be. That's right. And so what happened as a result is later in the year is, you know, they start doing that. They start getting letters from the teachers saying, hey, in 13 years of teaching, I've never experienced support like this from the community. 
they show up one time and they're doing a tragedy, um, a, uh, a murder-suicide um, of parents. And, you know, this child is left orphaned in the school and, and the school is reeling. They're, they're trying to handle it in an appropriate way, a private way. And they show up not knowing what's going on. And because, uh, you know, the press... I just, you know, shut it all down and they were welcomed into the inner circle to, to help grieve and mourn wow. uh, with the staff and, and to minister the love of Christ in ways that never get access. And, and then another time the principal calls and says, Hey, there's a family that's struggling. We don't know how to help them. You know, the, the child's wearing the same clothes two weeks in, in a row. Would mm-hmm. you be willing to to buy some clothes just to help out, you know, they, right, right. they get an email and the principal's like, you made me cry today. And, <laughs> and then when the fires hit, you know, uh, at fall and the, the school community goes to the church and gets like $6,000 worth of gift cards just to, to help them make it through the power shut off and, wow. and all the stuff that's going on. And so we're just seeing, and this is being multiplied in school after school after school where where we're not only doing the things that we're thinking of, but the schools are coming to us and saying, hey, we want you on the campus. We need role models for our male students. Could could the pastor and youth pastor show up and just play games, just hang out? And, and so it, it's just stunning. At that school that I shared about, they're on their third or fourth principal, but they still have the same lady at the front desk. Oh, the same so atheist. That relationship. <laughs> yeah, right. Principal to principal because they came back when she said, I don't want your help. I'm an atheist. They came back and now they can't get away because she's like, man, we want you here. You're Amen. Amen. Adam, you know, that's, that's, well, first of all, before I get to my question, how many schools uh, do you think you, um, you have been able to minister to you know it's uh it's well over 25 and and the stories are amazing you know we we had churches when covid started reaching out to kind of help with the schools then there was a school that just kind of fell through the cracks um it's part of a tribal reservation in our right. county right um they didn't have access to internet and we had a church in generosity by by laptops yeah. Um, for every student, teacher, and administrator in the district, wow. to help provide um, the the internet relays so that they could do, you know, they could do school. Um, we've got uh, a situation where uh, one church built community gardens for the 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 kids at this elementary school that's right. a really needy area in our school, and then another church has provided people uh, every every week to help teach the kids about gardening. So they partner together to reach out to them. I love it. I love it. Another, another school where where uh, a church helped rally businesses in the community and they they created these welcome bags of like school resources, but also like a school supplies. This was right. a, um, a school that... Um, the, the people coming to that school, many of them lost their homes in the fire. And so every incoming, every incoming family to the kindergarten, uh, this, this amazing welcome bag with all wow. of these resources. And so wow. it, it, the stories go on and on. And it's not just schools, but okay, before we go on with the stories, I need to take 
a station break. And, yes, of um, course. And tell those who are listening and watching that you're watching the kingdom, you're listening to the kingdom and its stories, where we invite people in to help share uh, their stories with us so that we can be inspired to better be Jesus' hands and feet. Adam, you, um, you've, you've talked about some group work um, and stories of how churches have interacted with schools and so that's kind of like institution to institution um have you have you got maybe a personal story or or stories of just individual what's happened to individual lives as a consequence of of um churches challenging their people to be jesus hands and feet well you know absolutely i'll i'll get out of schools but just as an example, you know, we had a, another school uh, where the principal called church. It's a different situation, but to help a family in need. Um, there was a transition going on, like a foster care type of situation there. And um, and as they reached out to help that family, that family came to the church. It was a, a grandmother and their children. They um, They gave their life to Christ. They got baptized and became part of that congregation. I just... Mm-hmm bumped into the leaders of that youth ministry this last week. And I'm just talking with them about the family and it's a life change that's happening there. The, the support that they continue to get through the church and the youth ministry there. Um, you know, I think for me, um, there's something so powerful about being there in moments of need mm-hmm. after the 2017 fires. Um, we had a new neighborhood created. It was called FEMA Village, uh, where our most vulnerable fire survivors were put up in an RV campground with a bunch of FEMA-provided trailers. And and we were there. Uh, churches came together. I was there personally. And uh, with each family that moved into these trailers, we we were able to provide them through generosity of churches all over the Bay Area, in our community and outside. These welcome home kits Mm -hmm. were these laundry baskets full of kitchen supplies and bedding and bathroom supplies and just things to help them feel at home. I'll never forget getting a card from one of the people we gave it to. It said, those salt and pepper shakers that you chose for me in my basket were really perfect. The little things can mean so much, Bob, to open hearts. And, And so... We began to talk with them. We would show up every weekend just to see how they're doing and to pray with them. And this is the thing is that when a disaster strikes, you know, organizations come from all over the nation to help. And Red Cross is there. And, you know, I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus, but but within a couple of weeks when the news cameras leave, you know, the organizations. But we were there every weekend for 18 months, like as long as that FEMA village existed. We were there. Wow. And, and when we talked with them, they said, you know, we get our water through hoses. It doesn't taste good. So we just made a commitment. We were going to use water as a framework for a relationship. Mm-hmm. And so every weekend we would come and deliver water, different people, including me, others, just from different churches. And so we were there. We built relationship. They got help from FEMA. They got help from Cal OES. They got help from other organizations. But over time, no one served them like we did. No one built the relationship we did. We were there to pray for them when they found a place to live that they could move out. We were there 
to pray for them when jobs were lost or when they had to move from this county that had been home for them. Right. They, they couldn't make it here. And and as that as the government went to shut that down, we had four families that were in tough situations. And I'll never forget being there. I'm, I'm on the phone with our mayor in Washington, D.C., advocating with Congress to get a FEMA yeah. extension for them. Right. And, and on the other phone with our county, who's talking to the California state legislature about it. And, and we were able to get an extension for them so that those four families would not be kicked out on the streets and to actually get policy changed in terms of how those programs come to an end. We got a 30 day extension. And in that 30 days, we we're able to find places for all four of those people. Um, to live. Well, praise the Lord. And, and, you know, uh, uh we were with one of those those families and the lady was dealing with Alzheimer's a little bit with dementia. And we came into this trailer just to pray with them. And, and the, the lady said, who are these people? And the husband said, our family has come to pray with us. Really? Wow. And so that's a type <laughs> of connection that's made and the impact yeah. that's made beyond the institutions, beyond the groups. The churches have been there family they've been there to be the hands and feet of jesus Adam, how do you how do you help a church that is pretty insular you know and they see churches you know you know i don't mean this and like it sounds but it's you know kind of like a we're a family group we're a club you know we meet together to worship the lord you know to to encourage each other how do you get them how, how do you inspire them to go beyond themselves? Yeah, Bob, such a great point. And, and it, you know, it's a journey of trust. And, um, you know, having pastored for 15 years, I know a lot of pastors who have a desire to be more engaged in the community. But um, it's always kind of that, that when I get extra time type of thing, it's, it's, yeah. It's not the priority. There's a lot of pressure sometimes even from their elder boards and governing boards, you know, in other directions. And so I do think one of the things that's helped us in the community is having someone in a role like mine who can help vet the opportunities, who can help kind of build the bridges and make it a little bit easier to get that ministry started. You know, I sit with them and say, look, I know there's five meetings every night that you could go to in the community. But if I told you the three meetings in the next six months, it would really matter. Can I count on you to be there? And they're like, Adam, of course, you know? So there's that element of vetting that helps the pastor get involved. And I know for our, our congregations, often when, when the pastor can model some of that behavior, can share some of those testimonies, that helps. Right. And so right. I think that's one, you know, that's one so I, I've I've heard two things. One is um, it helps to have an outside catalyst. That's right. And 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 build a relationship with the pastor, showing him different ways, small ways to beginning ways, beginning steps to get involved in the community. And the other thing is um, is getting them to say, could you, could I count on you to do this little thing? 
That's right. And, and then and then supporting and affirming them when they when they do that. Yeah. Um, so well said. And I'll just add one one quick thing is that as we build these relationships of trust in the community, sometimes it's the community leaders that then call us together. And the truth is sometimes we can be a little competitive in the church and one pastor has a hard time rallying other pastors. We've got a, a part of in our city where, you know, a city council member sent a request out and all the churches responded to that request from their district. So, you know, sometimes it's building that relationship of trust with community leaders and also encourages um, those leaders to invite the church. Okay. Adam, we've got less than 60 seconds. You've got 30 seconds to challenge the pastors who are listening to get involved. What would you say in 30 seconds? First of all, I want to say thank you for responding to the call to pastor. It is not easy. I just honor you and your role. Secondly, I want to say you matter to the community. You've probably heard this before, but I really believe being salt and light means being present in a way where your community knows you're there. And so I want to encourage you, you don't have to, you don't have to uh, do shock and awe, find little, simple, consistent ways to be present and show the love of Jesus. Adam Peacock, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your journey and inspiring us in whatever position we are to be Jesus' hands and feet. God bless you. Bless you, Bob. Absolute joy to be with you today. Thank you. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.